When you look at, you know, the tourism versus the marine life versus the, the ecological systems, you know, that are that are impacted, I mean, I, I really don't know for sure how you uh, put a dollar amount on it or how you, you get a total handle on it. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from just outside of Boston, Massachusetts, my co-host, Jay Craig Williams, uh, is unable to be with us today. We'd like to, uh, of course, acknowledge our sponsors and thank them for their sponsorship, uh, SunTrust, a company that offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and law firms. Find out more about them at suntrust.com slash law. And Clio, the web-based practice management solution for lawyers. Where you can find which you can find at goclio.com. Well, as oil continues to gush into the Gulf in the wake of the Deepwater Horizon explosion and, and uh, the disaster there, it's it's proving to be one of the worst, uh, if not the worst, uh, environmental and perhaps economic disasters in recent years with gallons of oil. Uh, seeping into the Gulf of Mexico, pouring into the Gulf of Mexico, it sounds like, and and uh, beyond that, just uh, unmeasurable, immeasurable danger to to the economy, to the people, to wildlife, to the environment, uh, to uh, uh, to uh, fishing industry there uh, on, on a massive scale. Uh, and uh, in response uh, to that, just this week, the Justice Department announced that it's launching a criminal investigation into the disaster uh, and into the deaths of 11 workers and potential violations of the Clean Water Act and Oil Pollution Act of 1990. Um, Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to talk more about this uh, disaster with uh, perhaps a particular focus on some of the environmental issues and, and maritime issues. Uh, likely to be at issue as as the legal uh, the legal untangling of all this moves forward. Helping us do that today are two guests uh, knowledgeable in this area. Uh, first, uh, joining us today from Montgomery, Alabama, is Attorney Ron E. Jones. Uh, Ron is environmental section head at Beasley, Allen, Crow, Methvin, Portis, and Miles. Uh, he joined 19, the firm in 1994 and now manages the toxic torts section at the firm. He's currently involved in toxic exposure cases in Alabama, Colorado, Florida, Georgia, Missouri, New Jersey, and Tennessee. He's also the American Association for Justice Gulf Coast Oil Spill Litigation Group co-chair. Ron recently spoke at a seminar in Orlando, Florida, titled The Gulf Coast Disaster, Representing the Plaintiffs, Individuals to Institutions. Uh, Ron spoke on the topic of forecasting the damage from the Gulf oil spill. So uh, welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Ron Jones. Thank you, Bob. 
And joining us next today is Professor Robert Force. Professor Force is the Niels F. Johnson Professor of Maritime Law and Director Emeritus of the Maritime Law Center at Tulane University Law School in New Orleans. He teaches courses in admiralty and criminal law. His current research activities are largely in the area of admiralty and maritime law. But he's also the co-author of Louisiana Code of Evidence, as well as numerous articles on maritime law. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Professor Force. Thank you very much. Well, uh, we also wanted to mention that uh, we had uh, attempted to get uh, some lawyers on the show who represent BP or some of the other uh, companies involved in this, uh, potential defendants in this, these cases, uh, but they were not uh, uh, not able to participate today. I I I said uh, in in describing what happened here today that that the uh, impact of this uh, is immeasurable. Uh, perhaps at some point it, it may be measurable. But but Ron, I mean, let me start with you and, and ask: How do we, uh, as lawyers, uh, even begin to assess the impact of of this disaster in the Gulf Coast region? Well, Bob, I think in a lot of ways it's uh, it's unprecedented. Um, I don't really think we've had this type of spill uh, this close to this large a population base that that it has um, economic uh, uh, repercussions as far as the fishing and the and the processing and the you know both both recreational and commercial fishing businesses and uh, this is a little bit unique in that there are uh, a lot of beaches and coastal counties and areas that are. Uh, very tourist-driven. Um, so you know, and then you factor in the 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 underwater plumes and and where uh, the spill may end up through loop currents, and and you try to tackle the uh, issue of the dispersants and what impact are they having. And when you look at you know the tourism versus the marine life versus the the ecological systems, you know that are that are impacted. I mean, I. I really don't know for sure how you uh, put a dollar amount on it or how you you get a total handle on it. I mean, it just uh, I think the the ripple effect is is pretty is pretty intense, and um, it seems like uh, that we just seem to, to to learn a little bit more every day. Um, things change with the winds, with the current. Um, you know, as far as areas that are uh, uh, directly impacted and um, you know, it's it's just I don't really I don't really know if there's anything um, that we can compare it to at least in in U.S. history. Um, the Exxon situation I think is is similar, but but I think it's uh, you know it, it has some real differences. One of the real difficulties, this is Bob Force speaking. One of the real difficulties is that it's easy to look backwards and see uh, what kind of economic losses various. Uh, sectors of the economy has uh, has lost. Uh, the the problem is that we don't know anything about the long term effects uh, of a spill this large. Uh, certain assumptions were made uh, when the Exxon Valdez case uh, was uh, was settled, uh, and some of those assumptions have proved uh, not to be correct in terms of the uh, ecological damage that was done. Uh, and uh, th- this bill is going to far surpass what happened in the Exxon Valdez. Uh, 
we, we can tell, for example, if a fisherman has not been able to fish for a week, how much that person has lost. But is he going to be able to fish next week or the week after or the week after that? Uh, that's a $64 question because we don't know how much damage is being done uh, to the ecology out there. Well, and Professor, that's that's a great point. Um, I, I, and, and it was more along the lines of what I was saying, too. I, I don't really think we have uh, uh, an adequate comparison you know, to make, and um, and as we as we are on this show today, you know, there's still oil uh, pouring out, and and I think at, at a at a minimum, you know, we have to have some sort of uh, finality, if you will, as to the as to the spill before we can even begin to assess the overall impact. And I couldn't agree with you more. I think that you know there, this is. There's so many unique parts of this, depending on what part of the coast you're on, and uh, you know, uh, oyster beds or, or estuaries or marshes, wetlands. You know, what you may be talking about as to the impact, and, and uh, it's it's just a you know, I'm not, this is not a newsflash, but I mean, it's a real mess. Yeah, but, but it might be helpful to your audience if uh, I, I could maybe provide them with kind of a grid because there's so much going on. It's very easy to get uh, uh, confused. Uh, you have to look at this from a lot of different angles, and you have to keep them separate in your mind. Uh, first of all, there's the position of the federal, state, and local governments. Uh, uh, they're entitled to insist that BP clean up, and the governments can insist with oversight and various other respects in cleaning up. And cleanup expenses are, are, are clearly the responsibility uh, of BP. Uh, and ultimately, uh, they're going to have to reimburse the government for uh, any of the uh, government's uh, activities. So that, that that's one set of, of damages, cleanup expenses. Uh, the government, uh, probably the United States, is also entitled to recover for natural resource damages. Uh, I see this as a huge problem in trying to ascertain what those damages are and in trying to uh, quantify them. But there's no doubt that uh, uh, that birds and fish and 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 and, and lots of other natural resources are are going to be uh, severely uh, harmed by that. And that's an expense that can only be recovered by government through what they call government uh, trustees. So that's one set of things. Then you have the damages. Now, under the Oil Pollution Act, the responsible party is responsible for a whole bunch of different kind of damages, which I won't get into. But one of the big changes that this statute made is that even though nobody owns the uh, the fish, uh, that the fishermen are going to be able to recover uh, their loss of profits or earning capacity if if they're not able to uh, to fish. Uh, this was a huge change in the law. But there are other parties who may be responsible for damage, some of these contractors, for, for example, and they're not subject to the Oil Pollution Act. They're, they're going to be sued under the general maritime law, perhaps state law, and, and different rules may apply to them. So you've you got the government, and then you have the private interests that will be coming in to sue. 
And then a set, another consideration is there are penalties. There are administrative and civil penalties that can be uh, imposed on the, uh, the, the discharger. Uh, these are not crimes, but they're, they're penalties, uh, and they're, they're, they're pretty much strict liability. And then the third thing, and then I'll, I'll, I'll get off, the third thing are criminal sanctions. Uh, the one that most likely comes to mind uh, would be uh, a negligent discharge. Now, I'm not saying anybody was negligent, because I don't know all the facts. I don't think anybody knows all the facts at this point, and I think that's what the Attorney General's people are doing, is to see whether or not. But the criminal penalties are divided into negligent violations and knowing violations. Knowing are more serious, and that would be much more difficult to prove. There have been some courts that have said that the criminal penalties in, in the Clean Water Act, and that's what I'm talking about here, that the negligence is not the higher kind of negligence required for ordinary crimes, but just the garden variety negligence that we apply in, let's say, automobile accidents or something like that. Uh, a failure to uh, act as a reasonable and prudent uh, uh, operator uh, with the expertise that the operator uh, ought to have. So if you can think of this in kind of grids, that may help you, you know, sort out uh, what the issues are. Well, what about the, the issue of uh, caps on liability here? I know early on in this disaster, the BP's chief executive officer, Tony Hayward, said uh, that the company was not going to limit itself to the to the $75 million cap under the Oil Spill Liability uh, Act. Uh Said he said at the time that we are prepared to pay above the seventy five million dollars on these claims, um, and uh, meanwhile Transocean uh, was seeking to to limit its liability uh, under this uh, I guess this limitation of liability act. Um, are are those likely to? I mean, some people some people might be saying at this point we're we're not sure whether to believe BP when they say these kinds of things. Uh, are these caps likely to come into play down the road? Is Transocean likely to be able to limit its liability? Uh, and uh, is that a concern for litigants in these cases? Well, Ron, let, let me ask. Let's start with 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 BP. Uh, you know, these, these caps uh, can be broken. Uh, and under the Oil Pollution Act, the threshold for breaking limitation uh, is the lowest of any in the world uh, as far as uh, environmental uh, disasters are concerned. And so if BP or any employee of BP or any agent of BP or anybody with whom BP has a contractual relationship was grossly negligent, then they lose the cap. Also, if there is any violation uh, by BP or their employees or people with whom they're in a contractual relationship of any safety, health, blah, blah, blah regulation, they lose the cap. Uh, by and large, companies have not been hiding behind the cap. Exxon did not try to cap uh, their uh, uh, losses. And I, th I think it's uh, uh, an economic concern. I mean, take a look at their reputation, what is happening in the stock market, uh, whether or not their sales are going to go down, and, and, and whatever. So BP is, uh, as far as claims under the Oil Pollution Act, uh, are not are not necessarily in a good position to try to cap, and I think it would be that they, they get very adverse publicity if they did try to uh, cap. 
I'll let Ron, you know, take it from there. Well, I, I think all of that's accurate, and I think that um, you know, you you have very artfully set out the OPA statute and the and the exceptions to the cap. I think that you're right. We will find that uh, the cap will will not uh, be in play uh, in 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 any court uh, as, as discovery progresses. Um, you know, there are. Uh, there, there are other issues related to that. I guess we we hit on the, the limitations action, and as as best I know, the latest I know is that um, that has been filed under a fairly ancient uh, statute, where Transocean uh, is at least claiming in a court in Texas that they should be limited to the, uh, as I understand it, the current value of the vessel, some twenty six or twenty seven million dollars in that in that range, and and of course. You know, as we've just discussed regarding uh, the impact and claims, um, should Transocean have liability? Um, I think everyone can can agree that um, you know that that probably wouldn't satisfy the uh, the the cases that are that are filed or, or will be filed regarding the the tragic deaths involved, much less um, anything else. So, you know, I, I I I think that that will continue to be litigated. I think that. Uh, one un- uh, overlooked fact to some degree has been that the limitations action also requested a stay of uh, any case that Transocean was involved in until there was some sort of uh, filing of, of all, uh, I'm going to get the terminology wrong, but there's basically the request was that everybody who wants to make a claim needs to make a claim uh, by, say, November. I think that's the date. And um you know, I think that those are are issues that, as a as an advocate for our clients, you know, I find a little distressing. Um, I know they have to; their lawyers have to do what they have to do to best represent their client. But um, you know, I, I think that's distressing to people that that a, a company the size of Transocean, who's who's already, I understand, been paid uh, under under insurance policies for the rig, uh, is a very substantial amount. Uh, far in excess of $26, $27 million would then turn around and try to limit their liability. But but nevertheless, um, I agree with, with Professor Force. I don't really see the OPA uh, cap as, uh, as, as being a significant um, issue as, as, as the litigation goes on. But, but, of course, there are going to be a number of claims made under a number of uh, statutes and common law state claims. So, uh, you know, there, there, there's certainly going to be no no shortage of claimants. I I don't know. Uh, to the best of my, I know that BP has been named as a responsible party under OPA. Uh, I don't know that Transocean is uh, or will be. But if 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 they're subsequently designated as a responsible uh, party, then they're going to be under the OPA limit as far as the pollution damage uh, is concerned. Now, the uh, on the uh, the death actions, uh, there is a statute that dates back to 1851. It's called the Shipowners Limitation of Liability Act. It's incredibly uh, out of date with reality uh, because the shipowner can limit its liability uh, to the value, the post-casualty value of the vessel. And there's a special provision for increasing that uh, in, in personal injury claims that's very technical I'm not going to get into right now. Most countries in the world that have a limitation of liability 
uh, they base it on the tonnage of, of the structure. And so if, if the structure is a total loss and its value is zero, you still get a limitation fund uh, built on tonnage. But uh, limitation can be lost, too, because uh, if the uh, casualty uh, was with the so-called privity or knowledge of the owner, then the owner is not going to be able uh, to limit. And U.S. courts generally uh, don't look very favorably uh, on, uh, on limitation. Uh, and the burden of proof uh, to show no privity or knowledge is on the vessel uh, uh, owner. Uh, one other point I would make is that if, if when a ship owner files for limitation, uh, an added bonus is that the ship owner gets what's called a concursus. That is, the court in which limitation proceeding is filed can enjoin any actions in any other court and require everybody to come in and submit their claims uh, to the limitation uh, uh, limitation uh, court. Uh, so uh, I think that's what Ron was referring to, uh, that they're, they're trying to uh, enjoin any proceedings. Uh, also, uh, the, the court uh, can set the time limit for when claims have to uh, uh, be filed. And so if you have an ongoing situation, I think uh, any judge would be sensible about it uh, and not require people to file claims before they know what their claims are. Well, what, what seems uh, troubling about that is the is it seems clear that that it could be years to come before we really understand the full extent of the damages from this uh you know you talk about damages to the fishery i mean i i've read accounts that say that that it could be decades before this 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 fishery is back to what it was just just a short time ago uh in in that of course carries over into the impact on on the people who work that fishery and and the, the the economies that they support and uh, you know I, as as uh, Ron let me ask you I mean as a as a lawyer looking at this and uh, and on behalf of the AAJ I guess as well uh, how do you you know even as I say even begin to measure the the damages uh, at this point is it possible to fully measure the damages at this point well you know that's a that's a very good question and I and I like to put it in in some degree of context, just as a for instance, we represent uh, a few seafood processors as well as fishermen and, and harvesters. And, you know, you, you, you have several components here. And one is the, the, the immediate impact. Uh, that is, they are getting in less seafood, shrimp, oysters, what have you, to process than they would normally because uh, for those who process uh you know, Gulf or, or domestic shrimp or, or seafood. Um, obviously, with with many of the fishing areas closed um, and, and areas where boats can and cannot go, limited, um, they're they're having less seafood to, for example, process. And so there's there's kind of an immediate bottom line issue. And of course, there are, there are other sub issues related to the the current price of shrimp and how much it's risen and and, and the effect of the imports uh, on the market. You know, et cetera. But but I guess the point I'm trying to make is is that this, no matter how complicated you make it, there is a there is an impact that's occurring now, and then there's this uh, impact that will uh, occur later. In that uh, there are, there I think we can we can say at this point we don't know the extent of it, but we can say that there are going to be 
certain fishing areas, marshes, wetlands, etc., that have been impacted or that will be impacted. And the I think one of the things that concerns uh, our, our fishery clients and our processor clients more than anything is what will be the long long term impact. Uh, that is the the diminution or the or the percent reduction um, in, in in harvesting that can be done, you know, in certain areas. Because um, if there is an area that that was fished previously uh, and and it's impacted uh, long term, then uh, fishermen are either going to have to go to a different place, uh, go further, uh, which with with the fuel cost and with labor cost, you know, that's going to have an, uh, a ripple effect, and so. I don't think we really can answer, as of today, what the long-term impact will be. Uh, you know, I just don't think there's there's any way at, at present, because we also have to factor in the idea that uh, some of the wetlands that are, that are being uh, uh, impacted or that are being threatened are not necessarily where you would harvest, but they are areas where the shrimp or the things that you do harvest, uh, you know, spend part of their time as far as, as their maturation process. So, you, you know, you're, you're, no matter how you slice it, I think there's going to be a heavy impact on the seafood industry and trying to get a handle on what the precise numbers will be uh, may take some projecting and it may take some time because we, you know, as we kind of keep harping on, you know, even as of today, we we just don't know the full extent of the leak, which is another difference in my mind between uh, this and the Exxon situation. At least in that situation, there was a known quantity that was within the tanker, uh, and 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 it would go where the currents and the winds uh, take it. But here, uh, we have wildly, uh, in my view, fluctuating estimates or, or, or various ranges of oil that has been. Uh, leaked, uh, and then we don't know how long it will continue to leak. Um, and I think the use of the dispersants uh, further complicates issues as far as surface sheen or surface area versus uh, underwater plumes, um, and, and what impact the dispersants themselves may have on marine life. So uh, eventually, you know, there will be uh, the, the the best estimates that can be made. I think will be made. But um, but you you hit it right on the head. This is this is quite it's quite a complicated uh, process, I think, to uh, to sort it all out. Yeah. Well, let me uh, I, I take a quick break and then hold your thought, and I'll be right back with you and uh, get get track. We'll be back in just a moment to uh, talk more about this disaster in the Gulf. Stay with us. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and waiting through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Imagine how much easier managing your practice would be if your practice management software was web-based. 
Your practice would be available anywhere you have an internet connection, completely secure, backed up continuously, and most importantly, easy to use, allowing you to spend your valuable time building your practice instead of managing technology. Start simplifying your practice today with Clio. Sign up for a free, fully functional 30-day trial at www.goclio.com. Use promotional code L2L for a 25% discount. Engage your brain. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and listen to all the great legal podcasts. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. Or go to WestLegalEdCenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi. My co-host, Jay Craig Williams, is away today. Uh, We are joined by attorney Ron E. Jones, environmental section head at Beasley Allen, Montgomery, Alabama, and Professor Robert Force, director of the Maritime Law Center at Tulane University Law School. And Professor Forrest, you were about to say something when I interrupted you, so go ahead. I I just wanted to add uh, uh, a footnote to what Ron said. You know, uh, fish just don't suddenly appear. You know, red snapper, red fish, or, 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 or whatever. I mean, they're a product of a whole food chain. Uh, you know, going back to, you know, microscopic uh, uh, organisms uh, in, in the water. Uh, and what we don't know, uh, and what we won't know, at least for a while, is to what extent uh, this disaster has impacted the food chain. Because that can have repercussions for years and years to come, as we found out in Alaska. The other point that I would make is uh, we're talking a lot about you know dollars and cents here, uh, as we should. But there's uh, there's another factor to be taken into account, and that is uh, up in the Valdez area, they have found uh, post uh, the Exxon Valdez disaster uh, that the rate of alcoholism increased substantially. Uh, that the suicide rate uh, increased substantially. And you're talking about the, the, a, a way of life uh, that has gone on from generation to generation, where the grandfather taught the father how to do it, and the father taught the son how to do it, and the son is now teaching his sons. And that's what they know, and that's what they do. And we don't know when they're going to be able to resume uh, that kind of, uh, of, of a lifestyle again. So you're talking about a real impact on a community and, and, and a way of life. Well, and it, I mean, it's 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 just a, a tragedy of, of of epic proportions. You're Professor Forrest. You're you're obviously a professor of maritime law. Is there is there any precedent for this in in maritime law? Have you seen anything like this before? No, no. I mean, I mean this this whole this, this whole business with big oil spills really didn't get started until after the Second World War. Because prior to that, uh, oil tankers were relatively small vessels, you know, uh, uh, 2,500 tons or something like that. Now you've got 
tankers with 250,000 tons, 300,000 uh, tons. Uh, and, and so the, the big oil spill is a relatively modern phenomenon. And this one that we're seeing right now is virtually unprecedented. Well, we're unfortunately uh, getting close to the end of our time, and I wanted to make sure before I do that that I gave each of you an opportunity to share your closing thoughts on this. So before we uh, conclude the program, let me ask each of you for your closing thoughts, and uh, also I invite you, if you'd like to, share any contact information with our listeners to to do that as well. So, Ron Jones, let me start with you. Sure. Um, our uh, website for our law firm is www.beasley.com. Alan, all one word, dot com, and we have, uh, I think, a, a, a fair amount of information on the site regarding the spill and updates and things that are occurring. Uh, I would encourage if you if you're interested in, in following it in a comprehensive fashion that that would be a good idea. And uh, I guess I would just say that I would I would agree with everything Professor Force has said. Uh, we really do not have anything to compare this to. Uh, we, we, it is, it is, uh, you know, and, and I, and I guess, uh, being here in Alabama and I've been down the Alabama coast more than I think I've been in my office lately, but, um, it, it I guess the, the thing I would close with is just the overall feeling of sympathy and, and outpouring I have for all the people on the coast, uh, from, from Louisiana to Mississippi to Alabama, and now even into Florida, um, just a, a, a real tragedy. And, uh, you know, having met with and talked to fishermen and their families, uh, it's just, you know, I echo what, what the professor said. This is a very generational way of life. And uh, especially people in Louisiana and along our coast, you know, they've been hit by hurricanes and, and bad economies and great recessions. And, and they were, you know, just kind of beginning to see some light at the end of the tunnel as far as this domestic seafood, which is a, which is a, you know, large, large industry. And, and it's uh, very important to uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, and Florida. And I just, I just really, my heart goes out for all of those people that have been impacted. I mean, this is just a very difficult thing um, unless you kind of have been in the in a, in a fishing family or, or a generational uh, situation like that. This is just, uh, it's a real tragedy. They, they This is what those families do. And, um, you know, and for it to be interrupted for any amount of time or, or heaven forbid, for generations to come or years to come, it's just, um, it just really gives you a knot in your stomach. It really does. And, uh, and Professor Robert Force, your final thoughts? Uh, well, uh, I can be reached at rforce, F-O-R-C-E, at tulane.edu. Uh, my final thoughts is that the closest analogy that I can come to, to this uh, is something like the Chernobyl uh, nuclear uh, disaster uh, in the then USSR, uh, that the, the, the effects uh, lingered on for uh, many, many, many years, uh, and that's kind of what we're uh, dealing with uh, in this uh, situation uh, here. Uh, it's, uh, uh, it, it, it's a case that's going to be in the courts uh, for a long, long time, uh, and it's incredibly complicated because there are all different kinds of rules that apply depending upon who is seeking what uh, from uh, uh, from uh, uh, whom. Uh, I, I, I created a course about 15 years ago called Marine Pollution, and it's all about this kind of thing. 
And I, I never thought I would live to see these rules apply uh, to uh, a, a scenario such as uh, as this. Well, I'm sure this is the what the Exxon Valdez was uh, litigation was in the courts for what more than two decades, and I'm sure yep. this will be something we'll be following for some time to come. So uh, I'd like to thank each of you for taking the time to be with us today. Again, Attorney Ron Jones, Environmental Section Head at Beasley Allen, and Professor Robert Force, Director of the Maritime Law Center at Tulane University Law School. Thank you both for your time today. And a uh, reminder, reminder to our listeners that uh, you can now get CLE credit for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer. Just go to the Legal Talk Network and follow the link to the West Legal Ed Center uh, if you want to do that. And, of course, all of our programs are available at the Legal Talk Network, legaltalknetwork.com, and on the podcast library of iTunes. Thanks for listening today, and we will be back next week with another episode of Lawyer to Lawyer. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.